Can we say inner saboteur? Is RuPaul going to sue us? I don't think so. I don't either. Should I Google it? <laughs> no, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> One Wait, part. I'm going to Google it. Will RuPaul <laughs> sue us? Send. Send. <laughs> Hiya, I'm Jerry Kramer, a trans woman. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm Sarah Kramer. I'm a cis woman and my pronouns are also she, her. Welcome to Meet the Kramers. It's been a couple of weeks. We are now into our new podcast schedule of every two weeks. And the last two weeks has kind of felt like a vacay. It's been kind of nice. It's been really nice. Because doing a podcast once a week and having a business was a little much. I was spending way too much time on the computer editing the long pauses that you sometimes take. I don't think it's fair if you edit those out. <laughs> I mean, if I didn't, the podcast would be two hours long. Something really great happened. We watched Apple TV the other night. It was a Oprah discussion with Elliot Page, and it was a wonderful conversation. I honestly wish it had been two hours long because... It was so interesting and I really wanted to more know more about Elliot's story. It just felt like it was like just the prologue, really. What did you think about the conversation? I thought it was really great. He said a lot of really great things and I was really excited to hear his story. I could feel the weight of how much pressure he's under to make sure he's communicating the information clearly and with the right language. I don't know him, but I am so proud of him. Yeah. I mean, we became aware of his work through the movie Juno. I think everybody did probably through that movie. And ever since then, I just feel like we're his cheerleader. Like I'm just I'm such a huge, huge fan. And then one of the other things um, with that conversation was um, Oprah and Elliot talked about the documentary Disclosure on Netflix. Oprah had watched the movie before her interview with Elliot to gather a, like more of an understanding before the interview. And I really appreciate it when people do the work like that. We haven't talked about watching um, the Disclosure documentary or what it was like for you, right? We haven't talked about it yet? I don't think so. We might have mentioned it in passing. I think we should save it because I want to watch it again with you because the first time my mind was just exploding the whole movie. I do too, because I think it came out right like April of last year. So I was very, very fresh. Yeah. And I think we did, we paused it every five minutes and went, what? Yeah. Is that a, th what? Yeah. Oh my, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to watch it again with like a year, a year under our belts of this trans life. Right. We should live stream it. Should we? No. That, see, I think that's probably illegal, actually. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you have Netflix, give it a watch. And one of the other things that I was really interested in is Oprah had sort of done a, had a conversation with someone from GLAAD about language and making sure that they were using the correct verbiage while they were speaking and asking questions of Elliot. And uh, 
Speaking of using the right language, I used some language last episode and one of our listeners, Robin, called me in for saying blind spot and the phrase, we were so blind. And I heard myself say it when we were recording and I was on a roll, so I just kept talking and I was going to go back and edit it out, but I totally forgot. But I wanted to read Robin's little note. Robin said, listening to episode 10 and loving hearing about the work that you're doing to make the shop safer, I honestly can't wait to visit. In that spirit, I noticed that there was some ableist language used during the episode, blind spot, we were blind, is what pops to mind. Ableist language is so tough because it seems like everyone uses it and it's hard to know what's problematic. And of course, ableism seems so extra hidden compared to some other systems of oppression. And Robin is totally right. And I appreciate the message. Ableism is discrimination or social prejudice against people with disabilities based on the belief that typical abilities are superior. And so, yes, words are important. And every small adjustment that we make helps one more group of people feel less marginalized and like they belong. So apologies for using that language. I will do better. And I was having a conversation with a friend about language and how we need to adjust the things that we say. And they were really frustrated and said, like, I feel like this stuff is never going to change. Like this stuff about language is never going to end. And it's true. It's always evolving. And I think if you can shift your thinking around the fact that we're always going to be adjusting our language, it actually makes it easier to accept it when things change. And then you feel less frustrated about it. And I'm also thinking about this as a way to get more curious about words. And what am I actually trying to say It's so easy to use a word like C-R-A-Z-Y, but why do I use that word? Like, what am I actually trying to say? There are so many other words I could be using. So I'm trying to use my big brain and my large vocabulary to express myself with words that don't hurt other people. Anyway, words are neat. Google is your friend. Use it. Moving on. We've had some really fantastic feedback about the tattoo episode that was episode 10. We got a really nice message from our sweet friend, Jen. She said, just so you know, you two have always been pushing for change in the tattoo industry. And while I get that at many times you feel like you were kowtowing to certain aspects of it and not pushing or addressing things strongly enough... And that's probably true. Are any of us or can any of us do enough in a multifaceted system of oppression? That's a big sentence. I'm here to tell you that in many other ways, you saw the problematic things and actively worked against them, even if only in the places you felt like you could control like your own shop. You have actively learned and tried, and that means a lot. I've always been super proud of the work you both did to change things, and I still am. Jen is so sweet. So sweet. And she's right. Sometimes we are a little hard on ourselves. We're just doing our best with the tools that we have. And hopefully every day we have one more tool that makes things a little bit better. Try a different tool. (laughs) That's an inside joke, Jerry. (laughs) You can't say inside jokes that nobody knows about. Choose a different tool. Somebody knows. (laughs) We also got a note on Instagram. Hi, I just wanted to write to say that I just finished the most recent episode and wow. Your description of the tattooing industry was very eye-opening, but so very familiar. Not because I've been a part of the tattooing world, I don't even have a tattoo, but because it really strongly parallels the restaurant industry, which my husband and I worked in for a total of 25 years between the two of us. The pirate nature of the people involved, there's no crying in the kitchen, the complete lack of respect for women and queer and trans folks, it's all there. 
My husband used to take great pride in being part of the restaurant industry, probably because of figures like Anthony Bourdain and the like, who really glamorized the masculine, militaristic, alternative culture. I've actually never worked in a restaurant, but you worked in a restaurant for years. Yeah. What was it like? The like same. Same. Yeah. I've been talking with a bunch of customers over the last couple of weeks about it. They're, they're all sort of saying, hey, that's like my job that I do. Like, I kind of hate to say it, but the thing that really all of these places have in common, it's just hetero, cis, male-dominated spaces. Yeah, let's let's change that. Then we also got another letter, and they said, I love your podcast so much. I've listened to every episode so far, and you've brought up so many helpful tools and things I need to hear. Box breathing, talking about therapy in such a healthy way. And you are both such excellent storytellers. It's easy to picture what you share each episode as I'm listening and doing mindless tasks. And your voices are just butter. They're butter. They're vegan butter. They sound like vegan butter. Another message that we got on our Instagram, at Meet the Kramers, if you're not following, part of the letter says, I especially loved hearing the tattoo shop talk in the most recent episode. I've always felt tattooing is so intimate and vulnerable, but have so rarely felt like my tattoo artist have acknowledged or spoken that into the room. It's so awesome to hear you talk about it and all the things you've done to create a safer space. And then they went on to say, I really appreciate hearing about Jamie, as I also discovered my own turf lady who I sometimes call Janet. She lives in my head and tells me that no one will love me if I'm trans. Wow, this Jamie thing is amazing because I am getting so many messages from people who have their own sort of internalized bully who is just constantly telling them terrible things. And I love that we are talking about it. Do you want to say anything about Jamie? No, I hate Jamie. (laughs) Okay. So speaking about Jamie, how do you feel about the last episode when we talked a little bit about the tattoo industry that we work in? Jamie doesn't come to work. No, but Jamie is the one who's telling you blah, blah, bloop. And you're like, oh, what? Oh my God. What? I thought Jamie was the transphobe in my head. But Jamie's- But Jamie's everybody negative in my head. Yes. Did you not know that? (laughs) Are you just figuring that out now? I guess so. Whoa. I must owe you $135 an hour. <laughs> I didn't even take an hour. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, Jamie is yeah. the negative voice in your head that tells you that you're ugly, that tells you that you're stupid, that tells you that no one loves you, that tells you that like you're weird. When we talked about that episode last week, oh, I was so anxious. And I think... What it made me realize is that I've never said any of that stuff out loud to the world in this way. And how much of a hold that that toxicity still has on me. Because I honestly, I think I had a harder time convincing myself that we should release this episode than I did about the episode where I talked about my chastity cage. (laughs) And that shit is mortifying to me. (laughs) I feel like we're going to get kicked out of the club, but I'm okay with it. I don't think we were ever in it. (laughs) That's true. Well, let's get on with the show. So before we continue, we just want to start with a trigger warning. We are going to discuss a little bit of cancer, a little bit of medical procedures, as well as maybe some poop talk. So please take care of yourself if you do decide to listen. Coming out was the best thing I've ever done with my life. Jamie was wrong. He was dead fucking wrong. I am honestly the happiest, queerest trans baby that ever lived. (laughs) 
And then the next two weeks after you came out were like incredible. I'll never forget how like light and airy everything felt. And it was just, everything was just coming up Jerry. It was amazing. And then the pandemic hit and the whole world went into lockdown. So when we closed for COVID, we thought we were going to be closed for like two weeks and then it would be over and we could get back to work. And that's not what happened. I think that I think the whole world thought that. And looking back, it seems really naive. Yeah. But we we didn't even really say goodbye to the to our coworkers. We were just like, well, see you guys in a couple of weeks. And we went home and then just sat on the sofa doom scrolling. And very early on, I had to stop looking at the news because I wasn't sleeping and I was having a hard time, like not disassociating out of my body. I actually don't really remember a lot of it. I think we just watched a lot of TV. There was a lot of laying around. I was full on triggered. It took me a while. I had to like sit in my discomfort for a minute before I realized that I wasn't just freaking out about the state of the world, but COVID reminded me so much of doing cancer treatment. During my chemo, I had to be super careful not to get sick because my white blood cell count was so low. So I had to stay in the house like for almost a year. And there were, I mean, there like I, there were times I could go out and do stuff, but I had to avoid anybody who was sick. I had to avoid kids. I mean, I do anyway, because <laughs> I don't like kids. But there was a lot of hand-washing, wearing a mask in public. I think the not knowing of what was going to happen was part of... COVID that triggered me because that's what cancer, having cancer was like. You had no idea what was going to happen. All the things that you were for sure about were no longer for sure. And it was really very, very familiar to my cancer journey. But luckily, once I realized that, a little bit of the disassociation went away. So I started to do things to ground myself because I realized we were sort of in this for the long haul. And I went back to my daily yoga practice and I became super consistent about it. And then the other thing that was really hard, I mean, besides all of it, was that you had just come out and here we were like, you were like two weeks out of the closet to the world. Was it two weeks? Two weeks to the day. Oh my God. And we didn't get to do the things you do when you come out. Like we can't go out for dinner at our local gay restaurant and have a gay old time. We can't go to Pride. We can't have a coming out party. We can't, we can't, we can't. There was this big buildup and pressure before you came out. There's supposed to be this big hurrah. And there kind of was on social media, but then we just had to go back into the closet. Only this time it was the COVID closet. I think lockdown as like a baby trans was pretty interesting. I had started my hormones in the middle of February, and then by the middle of March, we went into lockdown. By then, things had already started changing for me, and I really freaked out because <laughs> uh, I was really prepared for this thing to take uh, some time. I was, I'm in, like, I'm ready for it to take years, and I know that it's going to take years. You mean the hormones? So the the. Yeah, the hormones, the puberty. I know it's going to take years, but I was ready for it to take years. And here I was one month in and I'm already starting to see changes. And here's Jamie just waking me up in the morning. So you're just going to have boobs now? You know, you can't go back. Okay, wait, 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 wait. So let's go back a little bit. So when did you see your endocrinologist about going on hormones? Uh, end of January. I 
went by myself because I think you were visiting with your family in Vancouver. You had flown your brother and his kids into town to celebrate your dad and stepmom's birthday. Yeah, that was the last time my family and I were together in the same room because I think COVID kind of kicked in like a month and a little bit later. Uh, So your first appointment with your doctor was just a meet and greet, right? What was it like? Oh God, it was so nice. She was really kind. And I remember she asked me if my wife treated me well. What did you say? I took it really seriously. I said, yes, she treats me very well. (laughs) And then she wrote down in file, wife treats her well. And I had never seen anybody write her about me. I don't know. I felt really seen. I was just fucking beaming. What did you guys talk about? Uh, She asked me what my goals were transition-wise and some health stuff. Do you smoke, do drugs, drink, family history, like usual doctor stuff. What were your goals? I don't think I knew. I didn't really think that transition was going to be great for me. I thought that I was going to take these pills and turn into a freak. I did not think it was possible that they were going to change me like they do for younger trans people. So Why do you think that? Jamie. It's probably Jamie. But also, like, I want to undersell it for myself. I don't want to get my hopes up. Right. So my goals were just really to try them and see what happened. Because the only thing anybody really knows about hormones is that it's different for everybody. So it's my understanding that you can just stop taking your hormones and everything goes back to the way it was before, except for your breasts, right? Like we thought that if it wasn't working for you, you could just stop and then revert back to old Jerry. I think that's what my plan was. And she also asked me what my plans were surgically. And I said that I had no plans. And I kind of wish I hadn't said that because I feel like I shot down some opportunities for myself just kind of out of fear because I thought a surgery is so scary to me. But I think that by not saying I'd like to talk to a surgeon, I shut down a gate that is a little bit harder for me to open now. And I like I still don't know what I want to do, but I do know that I want to talk to a surgeon because I can't make a decision with all, without all the information. But now you have to like jump through hoops. I think I would have had to jump through all those hoops anyway, but I feel like there was a hoop I had to jump through to get to the hoops that I have to jump through. <laughs> it, just, it just seems like it's a lot of bureaucracy because now I have to get a form filled out by her to get the other forms filled out that I need to talk to a surgeon. It's just a lot of bureaucratic nonsense because... Honestly, if you, as a cis woman, wanted to get breast implants, you just have to ask for a consultation and you get one. It's kind of ridiculous. Mm. I keep saying to people, I'm a consumer. Just let me consume. (laughs) Uh, So I feel like I hamstrung myself a little bit by not getting the ball rolling right then. But it's okay. It's in the works now. And the thing that I wish I remembered is that it's just to talk to a surgeon Yeah, it's just a consultation to talk about what happens during your surgery and what you can expect for um, convalescing time and all that kind of stuff. But I know that even thinking about the possibility of surgery or actually anything that was beyond the scope of what you were ready to do yet, like you were ready to, to take hormones, but anything else would like set off your dysphoria. And so I think you just did what you were able to do. So don't be so hard. On Jerry, back then, she was just doing her best. That's right. When when you had that appointment with the endo, what did you have to do to go on hormones? Did you have to jump through hoops? 
Uh, not really. Um, when I left that appointment, they booked me another appointment two weeks later. And in between, I had to do blood work. And and then I went to the next appointment and she just gave me a prescription and talked a little bit about what each of the medications were going to do. You were there at that appointment and she asked you if you were okay with it. What did I say? I think you said, I just want her to be happy. And plus I'm pansexual, so it's no big deal. <laughs> Actually, my only question to the doctor was, when you go on the hormones and you go through puberty, is it going to be the same way as a teenager does? Because I was so worried about like attitude and door slamming and she laughed and she said no. And so then I was okay with it. I was just worried about seeing a version of myself as a teenager in you and I was not prepared. You're not my mom. You're not my mom. When you, when you got your prescription, were you scared to fill it? Ah, uh, Yeah, I was so scared. I knew that the pharmacist and the um, people at the pharmacy would know what they were for. And nobody knew yet. I was worried. I mean, I was worried I'd be outed. And I even felt like I got a sideways glance from the pharmacist. She handed me my pills. Like looking, like thinking back, I'm positive it's Jamie and I'm making it up. But gosh, I remember that feeling. It was awful. I got my pills, I think like the 12th or something in February. And I decided I'm just going to wait until the 14th. Take my pills because that is a super special day to start my transition. And now we get to say happy transversary. No, happy... Ha happy happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's... What is it? Happy ha Valentine's day. day. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> and that day was really special. The first day that I took my first of the little blue pills. Because our friend who I had already come out to was at the house that morning. And it was really nice to share that moment with my chosen family. What's it like when you took those pills? It was like taking a pill. Yeah, no. <laughs> but did you feel the weight of it or was it exciting? Like what? Uh, I don't think so because the the weight of being closeted was really like like holding me down. Like, I, like tamping your emotions? Yeah, it was like, it was heavy. Being perceived straight and cis was so heavy for me. And I think at that time, that's all I could feel. Because I just, I don't feel like I was truly born until the day I came out to the world. My public coming out is what really made the difference. The pills were just a small step. Well, I was excited for you because it was one step closer to your goal. And I was just so excited to see everything unfold. I was also excited. But that video that you took of me taking my pills that day, it is hard for me to watch because I can only see fear. I was definitely excited that the day had finally arrived. I was on my way, but oof. She's scared. Usually on Valentine's Day, we have a flash event at the shop. And that's a day when all the artists make these sheets of smaller sized fun designs. And we usually have a lineup of customers down the block and they pick a design off the sheet. And then the artists spend the entire day just doing the designs, just the ones from the flash pages. And it's always been a really fun day. But that day was, well, you were still in the closet. Yeah. But I knew that I was going to start taking my pills that day. I had planned the whole thing. And I had made two pages of secretly trans-themed flash. <laughs> um, it was a secret because I wasn't out yet. But looking back at that flash page now, like, oh, oh mama. <laughs> it's not a secret. You are not fooling anybody. <laughs> uh, the whole page is butterflies and butterflies transforming into women. Um, <laughs> but normally I'm quite busy on our flash days tattooing all the designs of my own designs, but this time, nobody wanted any of them. And it was honestly the first time this has ever happened to me. I was so bummed out. I was just like, 
This is a message from the universe. What a bummer day. Sitting in the back of the room feeling like nobody wanted me. Yeah, I was really worried about you. I kept like gently encouraging customers to look at your page because I, I wanted someone or just like one person to get one of your designs because I you just look so defeated and I just, my heart broke. I mean, I've done a bunch of those designs since. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but, but that day was hard. Yeah, and the bummer feelings did definitely stick with me because, you know, not being out, I'm still kind of in my man suit. But that whole time frame, even even though I felt like I was kind of out already and I'd started my hormones, it was really low for me emotionally because it was just so heavy. But I guess knowing taking those pills and that the changes were coming really helped me see like a light at the end of the tunnel. So when did you start to notice changes from the pill? Uh, I don't think it was long. Maybe maybe two weeks after the, after the first one, I we both noticed my skin started to get really like glowy and soft. And everybody started commenting on my skin. It was really amazing to have so much positive attention. Oh, and then my nipples started hurting. <laughs> they hurt so much. I remember that phase very well when I went through puberty. It's super uncomfortable. And I know like for myself at 13 or 14 or whatever I was, I was mortified because they're, well, one, they're super sensitive. And also I felt like everybody could see them, like they were glowing or something. But you must've been so excited. I had two feelings about it. One was elation about the fact that I was starting to bud. And the second was wishing it would take a little longer because I had really convinced myself I wouldn't see any changes for a few years. I did not think it would happen this fast. <laughs> I guess my body just likes estrogen. She thirsty. How, like, how, I mean, just like nutshell it for me. Like, how does it work? There are a million different paths with medication, and I think that the cocktail I started off is pretty standard. I started with a super low dose of an antiandrogen to suppress the testosterone in my system, and then a low dose of estrogen and progesterone. The estrogen is going to replace my, my testosterone as the main hormone of business. And the progesterone, according to my doctor, helps me with breast growth. They, I think they start you out slow. If you flood your body with too, too much of one kind of hormone, your body naturally closes down receptors. And so the cells aren't going to pick up quite as much. So it's a case of less is more. But God, I really have a lot of imposter feelings talking about this stuff because I've done a lot of internet research and there is so much conflicting information. And it seems like every single person who talks about their medical transition talks like they're doing it the way and that every other way is wrong. But what I understand is it's kind of tailored for me. She put me on a basic regimen and then she waited and saw how my body was responding to it. And then based on my health history and my blood work, she kind of knows where to go with it. Like the my cancer cocktail when I did chemo, they check your blood and then they adjust your me your meds according to what you need. Yeah, you know, and I and I want to say that what's working for me, it doesn't might not work for everyone. So definitely, like talk to your doctor about it because they for sure know way way more than I do. <laughs> Remember when you started to get cravings like a pregnant woman? <laughs> I do. One of the side effects of the antiandrogen, it's called spironolactone. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's how it's spelled. <laughs> One of the side effects of it is that it dehydrates you. I became thirstier than I've ever been. <laughs> and for some reason, pickles. Pickles and anything salty. 
And it's, I think it must probably be the same for pregnant women. It's just your body is responding to something missing. And the dehydration that I'm experiencing from my medication is creating salt cravings. And I think pickles are perfect for it because they're salty and they're also really wet. Plus, I love pickles, but only garlic and dill. Thank you. No sweet pickles. Well, get the fuck out of here. Thank you. <laughs> and then also your medication kind of messed up your poops. Fuck did it ever. It's the medication or it's the dehydration or it's a combination of both. And it has messed up my shit. <laughs> and I want to talk about it because, I mean, hey, everybody poops. But also maybe this will help someone. I've always been super regular. That's the best part about being vegan, besides the whole saving animals from being murdered thing. And my vegan poops have been textbook amazing. They have been for a long time. We had a sticker that said, I'm vegan and I poop three times a day. And clockwork, three times a day. And so when I stopped having those poops, I really, I just let myself suffer for a while because I didn't want to tell you what was happening. I think I didn't tell you because, gosh, nobody wants to talk about poop with their wife. But we're letting go of shame here on Meet the Kramers. Is poop an okay word to say? When I talk to my doctor, sometimes I'm like, and then my poop, and then I'm like, am I a baby? <laughs> say bowel movements. I like poop. Poop. As soon as you told me about your poops, I thought, oh, you should take psyllium husk capsules to help you get some extra fiber. I had used them years ago when I was doing a bowel cleanse. And boy, howdy, did they ever work to add extra fiber. And I also find that psyllium is easier to digest, um, for myself anyway, than say flax seeds or other fibers. And it turns kind of gelatinous-y when you add water to it. I used to use psyllium and water as an egg replacer when I first went vegan. So imagine that in your bowels. Do it. Like imagine it, a gelatinousy, fibrously jelly in your bowels, just dragging everything out of there. Anyway, it worked. It, it definitely worked. I didn't think that it was working. And then I spent a week where I had forgotten to add them to my pill regimen and everything like just fucking stopped again. And <laughs> Saloon husks for the win. Yeah. So we're back on it and things are moving. But obviously consult with your doctor before you try stuff. I'm definitely going to be talking to my doctor at the next appointment because I really want to make sure that my excessive dehydration is kind of where I should be on this medication. I've read about it and I know that it's like the side effect, but... We just want to make sure your... Yeah, might as well check it out. Kidney's not drying out in yeah, there. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I noticed about you when you started your medication was that you were just becoming happier. And I, I don't think it was the pills because they're not a mood stabilizer, but I did see a shift in your mood. And I, I think that coming out for both of us actually was so stressful and the buildup to when you came out was so intense. But once you were out, you just like lightened up or you were looser or just happier. And it was just really nice. Every little thing that I did to move myself closer to being the version of trends that I've sort of seen for myself... It made me happier. When I started taking pills, it was a step closer and it felt like I was accomplishing something. And when I came out, the same thing. It's another box to check on my trans to-do list. What about Jamie though? Oh, Jamie was and still is with me. Like, especially like right after lockdown, he would be, he would creep into my brain every morning. And my first thought when I woke up would be Jamie saying, what are you doing? My inner saboteur was so scared and so was I. One part of me felt like it was ridiculous to transition. 
So why did you feel like it was ridiculous? Like, what was the monologue that was going on in your head with Jamie? You're too old. Why do it now? Mm. You're almost 50. You only got 30 more years. What's the, what's the point? You're just going to be an old lady? What? What do you want? What are you doing? Mm. But on the other hand, I can feel myself blossoming into who I wanted to be. That good feeling started to outweigh Jamie's words. Yeah, I think we talked about you being an older trans person a lot. And I just kept saying, like, if not now, when? Like, how much longer are you going to wait? How much longer can you wait? And why wait? Like, do you want to be in your 60s? Do you want to be in your 70s? Do you want to be in your 80s when you transition? Like, let's do it now. Let's have some fun while we still can walk up and down the stairs. (laughs) I know in the beginning of your transition, you had regrets about not transitioning when you were in your 20s. And you were really kind of down on yourself for being like in your mid 40s and you wouldn't get to have that great 20 year old body or wear short mini skirts or have cute profile pictures or. I really did. I really wanted all those things. I think they're all mostly tied to my desire to, um, my unhealthy desire to pass as a cis woman. And I am discovering that it's a really loaded way to look at yourself. What what they don't tell you, what no one mentioned to me, was that being out and visibly trans feels fucking great. Passing is not the goal that I thought it was going to be for me. It took me almost no time at all to realize that for me, what's important is just being happy and healthy and enjoying my life. I think I probably couldn't have come to that conclusion in my 20s. I think it happened so quickly because of my age. You know, age gives us a little wisdom. It's really nice when it works. And plus, I really wasn't seeing a lot of trans women my age on social media. And so when I'm looking for ideas for outfits or haircuts or inspiration, I'm looking at a lot of younger trans folks. And I think that can be hard, probably a little bit detrimental to my mental health. Well, I know for me, like if I look at a fashion magazine, they always make me feel bad because I'm not like a five foot 11 gazelle with like super long legs and a flat stomach. But what's that? We always say that thing like compare and despair, right? Comparison is the thief of joy. And um, there's a very thin line between looking at images and becoming inspired. And then the other side of the line is feeling less than or not good enough. And so you have to be really conscious of that and stop when you start feeling less than. I mean, this is probably a terrible question, but do you ever think about what it would have been like if you had transitioned in your 20s? I do, but it's it always feels like a like a nightmare. Uh, I'm, I feel like we would have broken up, really just based on your reaction. Well, I hope not. I'm really rooting for those kids. I think they really love each other. Yeah, they do. I probably wouldn't have been able to get into tattooing as easily. It would have been really hard for me to get into that boys club in the mid-90s as a trans woman. I also really doubt I would have been hired at that corporate restaurant and fast-track to management. There is a lot of privilege moving through the world having everyone think you're a white cisgender straight man. Yeah. I mean, this is the way I feel about it. Like, as heartbreaking as it was that you weren't able to come out until you were in your late 40s. You know, I like to look for the light. Uh, The plus side of it is that you were able to find a version of yourself in 2020 because the culture has shifted enough that you felt safe to come out. And we were in the position in our business 
to change everything to suit us and still make a living. And I feel really, really, really lucky about that. Same. (laughs) And the other thing I've noticed is how like truly happy I am. Like, obviously I have dark days or days when Jamie is loud, but for the most part, I feel so much joy and I'm having so much fun. And then there's also the crying. There are so many sweet tears. It's so cute. There's like a puppy video, tears. Commercial about grandpa, I look at you, your eyes are filled with tears. Do you think it's the hormones or that you're just more open to being vulnerable or or both or what? It's definitely both. I think in our whole 25-year relationship, I've maybe cried in front of you twice. And when I finally came out to you, allowing that vulnerability really opened up some tears. And like, as soon as I came out to you, as soon as we were on board, we would be watching TV and I'd start bawling at the sad stuff. You'd also be bawling at the happy stuff. The medication just makes it really hard not to cry. But I don't have any shame about my tears or about having emotional feelings. And I think that's just all that toxic masculinity crap that I was fed while I was raised. And it's liberating to shed it. And your hair. Your hair is so luscious and so shiny. I'm so jealous. The truth is, is that the hardest part about your transition for me is how jealous I am of your of your hormones. I thought I would feel weird or jealous about you growing breasts because I don't have breasts because of my mastectomy, but I don't have any envy over your chest. I'm actually so into your boobs <laughs> that I kind of feel like a creep about it. But I want to say that uh, the part that I'm working on is my jealousy of your hormones because I'm in menopause. And so I feel like I'm a dehydrated old husk over here. Like I can't take hormones because my cancer was estrogen positive. And that means it uses estrogen to make cancer. So I have to avoid all hormones. So I'm jealous of your shiny hair and your soft skin. And I feel like you're aging backwards. And I'm here on Menopause Street turning into an old lady. We're both in different phases of our life. And my phase has a lot of negative stigma attached to it. My inner saboteur will not shut up about it. I hate your version of Jamie because they only let you see this like wood cutout of Danny DeVito. And that is not who you are. I do not look like Danny DeVito. Do I? No. Well, now I think I do. Well, you don't. Thanks. Your Jamie is really mean. This version that you describe only exists for you. Nobody sees this aging, this aging old husk. Well, thank you. Um, Menopause is uncomfortable and everything is actually declining because my estrogen levels are declining and I am continually chasing moisture. (laughs) My vagina is dry, my hair is dry, my skin is dry, like things are starting to crumble and I can't take hormones to help alleviate some of the changes. So it's hard to watch you get this magic youth elixir. And I've never been a jealous person. It's not really part of my makeup. So when jealousy popped up for me, I was just like, what is this feeling? But I think what I've come to terms with is that each phase of life is challenging. And yes, I agree that I'm hard on myself. You would never let me talk to myself that way. I know. My Jamie is such a jerk. And it also didn't help that we were in lockdown for COVID. And all we had was like lots of time to think. So watching you blossom and 
feeling like I'm starting to crumble. It was, it's just kind of hard. Yeah. And as soon as we started our lockdown, I mean, that's when I really started blossoming. So you're just forced to sit there and watch every minuscule detail. And I just want to say, like, I just need to say, I'm incredibly happy for you. I don't want you to think that watching you transition is a big trauma for me. I just started to notice some things about myself that I hadn't noticed before. Like all of this lockdown at home, we're noticing that neither one of us is a neurotypical person. And although we're not pursuing a diagnosis yet, there is definitely something there. Yeah, spending all this time at home has really opened our eyes to some things. And then also one of the other things is um, both of our boundaries with the outside world have really changed. But that's, we're going to talk about that in another episode. So I guess like the positive side of the pandemic, because Kramer's like to look for the light, was that it was this pause in all our lives. When do we get to universally pause and spend time with ourselves without all of the exterior noise that life is? I don't think I knew it at the time, but lockdown was an opportunity to really get a handle on where I was and who I wanted to be. Looking back at how lockdown was for me as a baby trans, I think it gave me space and time for my old self to fall away and for my new self to shine and come out. And it gave me a safe space where I could explore and experiment. And just become more confident. Yeah. And just get a handle on who I am. And I baked a lot of bread. So normally we end on a cliffhanger, but the cliffhanger this episode is that there is no cliffhanger. Or is there? Bom, bom, bom. We are pretty much up to present day with our story. So we thought next episode could be a letters to the Kramers episode. And that's where you come in. If you have questions about anything we've talked about in the last 11 episodes that you want to know more about, send us an email at info at meetthekramers.net or send us a DM on Instagram and ask us anything. No question is off limits unless it's off limits. And then we just won't answer you. How about them apples? This episode brought to you by Nobody. Do you have a business or a product you'd like to promote? Email us at info at meetthekramers.net. We have many different reasonably priced advertising rates. Let's do some business. Sound engineering for this episode by Gavin Stacy. I knew him when he was smaller than me, and now he's taller than me. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.